Again, welcome to a Grace Church of Philly. Welcome those that are watching from home and watching from different places in the world. Uh, I pray that wherever you are, God will speak to you and encourage you from his word this morning. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians 2, and our children may be dismissed. I think little Johnny is around here somewhere. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, looking at verses 13 through 16. And Paul writes, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. I remind you I'm in a series where I am encouraging you to read your Bible, study your Bible, memorize your Bible, perhaps take some advanced courses on the Bible, because as Christians, the most profound ex spiritual experience you will ever have will be in the Word of God. There is no more profound, deep spiritual experience than God speaking to you from his word. So I want to encourage you to read and study and memorize and become a master of God's word, of listening to God's word. In our text today, I want to examine our relationship to the word of God by comparing how we receive the word of God to how the Thessalonican believers initially received it. You can go back to Acts chapter 17 and read of Paul's uh, work in Thessalonica. He was only there a short time for a couple of weeks. He went into the synagogue and he proved from the scripture that Jesus was the Christ. And there were some Jews that came to Christ as Messiah. There were a number of Gentiles, uh, significant Gentiles who had, you know, a place in society that, that came to Christ. But the vast majority of Jews rejected Paul's message and began persecuting those who uh, believed. And Paul was forced to leave the city. He went to the city of Berea. And uh, when Luke writes about that account, Luke says that the people in Berea 
were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. And yet Paul looks back at his time in Thessalonica And even though Berea received the word in a greater, perhaps a better way, they were more open, Paul can remember that there were some in Thessalonica who when Paul preached, they heard the word of God. The spirit of God worked in their hearts so that they heard in Paul's message the word of God and they believed. You know, we, we find that different people come to the Word of God for different reasons. I confess, you know, I've probably spent 18 years formally studying the Bible, and many times I was studying the Bible as an intellectual. You know, I wanted to understand, I wanted uh, information, you know, I wanted to know the facts, I wanted to know the content of the Bible. There have been times, I confess, I've just read my Bible as a duty. Uh, It's what I should do, and so I'm going to read it. Uh, Some read it as an antagonist. I don't read it that way. I read it in faith. But there are some who read it who want to debate. You know, somebody sent me a couple YouTube videos the other day of of, uh, wanting me to answer what they were saying. You know, they were going to the Bible and finding all of this mysterious stuff in the Bible with numbers and names. And, you know, my, my basic response was, you know, they're looking at the Bible to argue with it, to find something wrong with it. And if you don't have faith in the God who wrote that Bible, if you don't love that God, if you're not coming to the Word of God so that you can worship the God who gave us the Bible and obey that God, then you can come up with anything you want to out of the Bible. You can misread it a thousand different ways. And so my encouragement was, you know, here's a site where you can listen to, watch videos of men who have respect for the Word of God as God's Word. Some look at the Bible just as as a utilitarian manual. You know, they're looking for something practical. They're looking for an answer to a particular question. But the reason we come to the Bible as Christians is We want to know the God who gave us the Bible. We come to the Bible to worship, and we come to the Bible to obey. I remember, and I've shared this before, but I remember my uh, professor advisor, Dr. Bruce Walkie, uh, talking one day about how uh, different groups have a different uh, stance toward the Bible. He said that, liberals stand above the Bible, and they criticize it. In their mind, you know, they're greater than God's Word, and they have the ability to critique what God has said. He said that fundamentalists, and when 
he made that statement, I happen to have been a fundamentalist of the kind he was speaking of at that time. He said, and fundamentalists, they stand on the Bible. You know, they say, I stand on the Word of God. But they often go beyond the Bible in what they teach. And that struck me because I was guilty of that at times. And then he argued finally, he said the only uh, posture that we should have toward the Word of God is to sit under the Bible, to humbly sit under it, that, that the Bible is God's Word. We are mere humans, and we need to humbly listen to God so that we may worship Him and obey him. I don't know what your attitude toward the Bible is today, but I'm glad that you're listening, whether you're here or somewhere else in the world. I'm glad that you're listening because if you are at least listening to the Word of God, there's an opportunity for the Spirit of God to allow you to hear God's voice speaking to your heart so that you can know him and worship him and obey him. And that is my prayer today. I want to talk this morning about how we should properly receive the Word of God. And two basic points I will look, in, look at from our text. First of all, very simply but very clearly, we receive the Word of God by affirming it as it is the powerful Word of God. Paul says when you've received the Word from us, you've received our message as the Word of God. Now, I need to make some clarification this morning because 20, 20, 21st century, 20, is this the 22nd century? 21st century preaching. I forgot what world I was in. It was like in a time warp. 21st century preaching is not identical to apostolic preaching though it is similar to apostolic preaching. You know, Paul could say, because he was, was an apostle, that his very words that he spoke and eventually wrote were the word of God. Paul had the inspiration of the Spirit. He had direct revelation from God. That was the apostles' role. Jesus had told his disciples, he said, when my spirit comes, my spirit will guide you into all truth. And that's what the spirit did. And we have that truth to which the apostles were guided, inscripturated for us in the Bible, the word of God. When I preach... It is similar to Paul preaching, but it is not identical to Paul preaching. My preaching is the Word of God only insofar as it is consistent with, based upon, 
coming out of what the Word of God actually says. Every story I tell is not the Word of God, but hopefully every illustration and every application can find its roots back in what does the text of Scripture say. When we talk about preaching, hopefully at Grace Church, our preaching is defined like this. We say that preaching is teaching the Bible. It's teaching the Bible with application and with exhortation to point people to the sufficiency and the glory of Christ. When someone preaches at Grace Church, hopefully the first thing they do is pray, make sure their heart is right, that they are humble before God, because no, no human being, as smart as he is, can have God speak to him through his word without the Spirit of God working in his life, because the Spirit gave these words. These are his words. And so hopefully we pray, and then we study a passage of Scripture. Not like the evangelist I had one day years ago come to my church, and he was going to preach for five or six nights, and uh, he came to me one morning, and he says, John, he says, I've got a great message. And he showed me all, all that he had written out. And he said, John, can you help me find some scripture for this message? Now, he was sincere. He believed the Bible was God's words. But he worked from his ideas and then tried to find where the Bible would support those ideas. And I would say, for the most part, his ideas had some biblical basis. But that's not a good way to study the Bible, to teach the Bible. The best way is study the Word of God to find out what did God intend to say in its original setting. And what does God intend to say to us today through the words that he wrote a thousand or two thousand years ago? This is, you heard, you received what I gave, Paul said, as the very word of God. I love what the shorter catechism of uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says when it answers the question, what do the scriptures principally teach? And the answer is, what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said, when you hear God's word, think in every line that God is speaking to you because indeed he is whenever script whatever scripture says god is saying god speaks through his word many evangelicals years ago followed the 
teaching of uh, a German theologian by the name of Karl Barth, or Bart, they would say. And Karl Barth made a distinction between the Word of God and the words of Scripture. He said that Scripture contains the Word of God, but not all of Scripture is the Word of God. And I hope you see a problem with that. He went on to say in other places that, you know, it, it becomes the Word of God when, when you encounter it, when it speaks to you. But God would say all of Scripture is His Word, and whether you feel it speaks to you or not, whether you feel it's relevant to you or not, it is still the Word of God. There is no dichotomy between the Word of God and the words of Scripture. And evangelicals who have held a high view of Scripture have always been preachers and evangelists who did what we call expository preaching. They would take a text and expound on that text, and their message would come out of that text. What does this verse mean? You know, what does Paul mean when he says, you heard what we said as the very word of God? What does that mean? And they always believed that it was the scripture alone that had authority, that it's God speaking. And if it's God speaking, then it not only need, leads me to worship that God, it leads me to obey that God. As we saw in the first message, Scripture is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness. And it's important when we read Scripture that we understand that when God is speaking to us, his primary concern in Scripture is redemptive. His primary concern is what, you know, philosophically, we might say, are metaphysical issues, things that are beyond the physical world. You know, with our mind, we can study and learn much about the world that God has given us. But with your mind, with reason, there is no way that you can know what's beyond this world. You cannot know that God. You cannot know his character. You cannot know his purposes. You can only know it if he tells you, if he reveals who he is and what his will is and what his purpose is for your life. And that's what he has given us in Scripture. And it's important when you're reading Scripture that you understand that its primary purpose is to bring you to worship God and to obey God. I have known Christians, sincere Christians, who... Uh, in my mind, sort of trivialize the Bible because the Bible for them becomes a, a handbook for every problem. It, it, it's going to answer all the problems of science and of health and of diet and of economics and of child training and even you know, the kind of food that you would eat, you know, having a biblical diet. And I, I can remember one friend, someone really close to me, you know, telling me that I should be eating Ezekiel bread. 
And, uh, you know, there is Ezekiel bread out there in the market. It, it, it's good bread. It's healthy. But Ezekiel bread is bread that, you know, is Ezekiel talks about making this bread that's made out of all these different kinds of grains. And it's really wholesome. But if you really want to eat Ezekiel bread, then you not only need the ingredients that Ezekiel talks about, but you should use the process that Ezekiel talked about. And when Ezekiel talks about making Ezekiel bread, he talks about taking cow dung, dried cow dung, and using that to make a fire on which you cook your Ezekiel bread. I don't know of anybody on a biblical diet that wants to do that. But we've had people in churches that, you know, they're convinced that, you know, there's a there's a, a, a biblical way of nursing your child. You know, there's, there's, they have all of the answers. You know, that, that, that the Bible gives all of the answers for everything in life. And, and my dad was one of the sweetest Christians I know. Loved the Bible. Loved, and that's really all he cared about. He said, he said, all I need, especially after my mom died, all I need is a little room with a lamp and the Bible. Well, that's noble, but I, I would disagree with my dad. All you need is the Bible if you want to know how to worship God and obey God. But God also gave you the world that he created and gave you a mind so that you can take dominion of this world. And because the Bible doesn't give you all the answers to economics, it doesn't give you all the answers to uh, the, 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 the medical field, it doesn't give you all the answers to science or health or diet. Now, we learn those things in other ways, we learn those things by studying the world that God created and using the mind that he's given us. And that is why we can see that because of God's common grace, there are mathematicians who are superior, who aren't believers. And there are doctors who have use the mind that God has given them and study the world that God has created. Uh, there are scientists that are not believers, that you can know much of this created world that is helpful for life in this world apart from the Bible. But as a Christian, when you study the created world, when you become a doctor or a physicist or an economist or a dietitian, and what you learn, because you know God's word, you know that this is God's world, and you know that the Bible calls us to worship the God who created this world, not to worship the creation, so that when you learn the things that you do in this world, you inform it by the metaphysical, by what you have learned that is beyond the world of that God who created you and put you in this world. And you are called as a doctor to worship, as an economist to worship. 
I remember again my Professor Bruce Walkie, the first time I walked into his class on, on advanced Hebrew grammar. And he said, in this class, we're going to understand the language of Hebrew and all of the nuances and all of the grammatical technicalities. And the purpose of learning Hebrew is that you might worship God even more. That with that tool, you might study the Word of God and come to know the God who gave that Word. And you might worship Him more. I never thought of studying Hebrew as a means to worship God. But now I understand that. The Bible is God's word. It is God speaking to you about things that cannot be learned simply by the rational mind, things that are beyond this world, answering the questions of who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What is my destiny? He goes on to say that this word which you've received of us as the word of God is at work in you, believers. That it has a power to it. We actually get our word energy or energizing from this phrase, at work. That there's something about the Bible that is constantly affecting your life. It's doing something to you as a believer. Again, Psalm 19, we referred to last week, but listen again to the psalmist's love for the Word of God. The, the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. That's what the Word of God does. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the, the eyes. There is a, a power in the Word of God to to affect you, to change you. In our world today, there's a, we all know there's a big debate over sexuality, over sexual orientation, over transgenderism. There's even laws in many places now against what they call conversion therapy. And by conversion therapy, they don't mean that It's against the law for someone who is straight to become gay. They mean it's against the law for someone who says they are gay to convince them that, no, you are what God created you to be. Uh, you are the gender God created you to be. And that's a problem for believers because when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 12, 
where Paul came to Corinth, he preached the word of God. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he says to the Thessalonians that this word that I preach is effective. It, it does something. It changes you. And when Paul writes back to the Corinthians, he says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You were converted. How? Well, Peter told us last week, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God, this powerful, effective Word of God. And I can guarantee on the basis of God's Word that if you repent of your sin before God and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior who died for you and rose again, that when you believe the Word of God, it will have an effect on you. It will change you. It will cleanse you. It will transform you. It will begin to deliver you from the power of sin in your life. But notice how he says it. He says it works. It has this powerful effect in you believers. Now, our English translation makes a noun out of what is actually a verb because literally it says, in you who are continually believing, in you who live by faith, in you who hear God's word by faith. The word of God affects us as we come to it in humility and faith. In the book of Hebrews, the writer writes this in chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Paul, or the writer of Hebrews says, the people of Israel had the promise of God. They never entered into rest. We have the promise of God. In Christ we have entered into that rest. Why did they not enter and why have we entered? And he simply says, the word of God must be combined with faith. 
Of course, that's a faith that is generated by the presence of the Spirit of God in your life. It's a, it's a faith that comes to the Word of God with a reverence and an awe toward the God who wrote it. And as we come with faith and believe it, it has power to transform us. And notice, be reminded that it's not faith in faith. It's not faith in men. It's not faith in some prophetic utterance. It's not faith in a dream. It's not faith in those who are convinced they have a special word from God for you. But it's faith in the God who has spoken clearly by his word. And as we believe the word of God, we are brought to worship and we are brought to obedience. A fourth thing he says about it. When he says in that phrase, when you received from us the word of God. And the particular word that he uses that's translated received means to, to welcome, you know, as you would, would a friend, as you would a guest. It means to receive it warmly, to welcome it warmly. It's talking about this affection or this attitude that we have for the Bible. I've been reading a couple of very deep theological books on the subject of uh, the temple and God's presence and the tabernacle. And, and uh, I'm reading two at the same time that are dealing with the same subject written by authors from different backgrounds. And the one book is filled with information. I, man, it has more information. My head spins. And I learn a lot. The other book is written in a way that it has similar information, teaching about, you know, the, the temple garden and the tabernacle and Solomon's temple and the temple in the church, the temple of our bodies. But this book, as I read it, I'm always called to, to worship. My heart is being touched. The other book affects my head. This one touches my head, but it grabs my heart. It calls me to worship. It's possible for someone to come to the Word of God just intellectually and to even get some good things and some true things out of the study of the Word of God. Sometimes liberal commentators come to some understanding of what the Bible has to say, but they never lead you to worship because they don't come to the Word of God welcoming it warmly as the Word of God with a desire to worship, with a desire to obey it. When we receive the word of God, we receive it with a heart of repentance as we saw last week. We rid ourselves of all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and receive the pure milk of the word of God. 
We receive it in humility, as James chapter 1 says. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We receive the word of God in repentance, in humility. We receive it by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We depend upon the Spirit of God as Paul prays to illumine our eyes. The Bible is to be affirmed as it is indeed the Word of God. But secondly, it's to be applied as the powerful Word of God. Not only affirmed, but applied. And the application we find is similar, whoever you are, wherever you are, in whatever time frame you you live. He says to these believers in Thessalonica, you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus. That you heard the word of God and you applied the word of God in such a manner that was consistent with those in a whole other part of the world who heard the word of God and applied the word of God. And he's simply reminding us that there is a universal, trans, transcultural application of God's word in every age in which we live. Yes, people are different, their cultures are different, but the gospel is the same. The moral standards of the word of God are the same. Obedience to God is the same. And that is why wherever you may visit on planet Earth and you find another believer, you will find a striking similarity among all Christians wherever they are in the world. It's an application that simply follows a New Testament church pattern. And it's an application, he says, that is not deterred by suffering. You also endured the same suffering. That you heard this word, this word that you believed as the word of God. And you were so convinced that it was the word of God that even though your brethren began to persecute you, they pulled Jason out of the synagogue and threw him in jail. They persecuted you. You were willing to suffer at the hands of the Jews because you believed it was the Word of God. A watered-down gospel and watered-down preaching, an inclusive gospel, inclusive preaching, a gospel that does not offend religious people and does not offend sinners, is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I was once told that if I preach a message that in some way would not offend a Jew, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a sinner, if I preach a message that has no offense, it is not a Christian message. Because the gospel is contrary to human thinking. It's contrary to human nature. And we know we can avoid suffering that comes from believing that the Bible is the Word of God and applying the Bible as the Word of God. We can avoid suffering, and that's what is happening around our world today. Churches are conforming to the world in which they live. They are accommodating the new beliefs, the new morality of the world in which we live because they want to be accepted. But Jesus said, you are blessed when men revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. Yes, we can avoid suffering. We can avoid persecution. We can be accepted in the world in which we are living, but only by denying that God has spoken in Scripture. But if you're faithful to God and you suffer for your belief, you know that suffering does not deter or detract from the power of the Word of God. Rather, suffering simply provides a context where the power of the Word of God can be received and enjoyed and applied in the midst of suffering. I remember reading about Pastor Matai Varghese. He was beaten and abducted by Hindu extremists in the Rajasthan state in India. About 100 Hindu extremists beat him badly. He had fractured nose, visible blood clots under both eyes, torn thumb ligaments, internal injuries causing severe bodily ache. And what did he do as a result of that beating? He continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 2018, Newsweek magazine had an article entitled Christian Persecution and Genocide is Worse Now Than Any Time in History. And it went over what, what's happening in Sudan and Algeria and China and India and northern Cameroon and Nigeria and many other places in the world. And you may say, well, that's not, I'm not being persecuted here. But wait, if the world, the, the society that we're living in keeps running fast away from God, more and more Christians will be seen as, as the obstacle to the world that they want. 
because they don't want a world in which God has spoken. They want a Romans 1 world where they deny the Creator and instead they make an idol that fits their own desires. They create a God of some sort that will affirm their own choices in life. More and more Christians are being seen as the, as the obstacle to the kind of world wanted by those who reject God. Paul here mentions the Jews who, in Acts 17, persecuted those new believers. And he said, they're the the same ones who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and they're the ones that drove drove me out. And by the way, Paul's not being anti-Semitic. He's a Jew himself. Paul understood that, yes, the Jews did kill Jesus, but so did the Romans, and so did I. But in every generation, there are those who hear the Word of God, believe the Word of God, submit to God, worship Him, and obey Him, and there will be those who see the Word of God as a threat to their religious systems, their political dreams, their moral choices. Paul talks about the distinction between those who receive the Word of God and those who reject it. He calls those who reject it those who are not pleasing to God. They are this way. They're not pleasing to God. They fill up the measure of their sins. Of course, the contrast is they're not pleasing to God, but believers confess we're accepted in Christ. Unbelievers, they vent their hatred. Believers, we love even our persecutors. Those that are not pleasing to God produce hostility, whereas believers pray for those who persecute us. The unbelievers create a hindrance to the gospel. They don't want others believing that which indicts them. But we believe the gospel and we believe that the gates of hell can never prevail against the gospel. The unbeliever, Paul says, they add to their sins. They're just multiplying them until it comes to a place where literally they have filled their cup. Whereas our sins are remembered no more filling up the measure of their sins. There's sort of an indication in those words that there is a time when God says, I've had enough. Your cup is full. Your rejection, your rebellion, your sin, your cup is full, and wrath is what comes upon you. God holds us accountable for what we do with his 
offer of mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. Paul says they are under the wrath of God, whereas we are delivered from the wrath of God because whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In closing, one clear evidence that you are a believer in Christ is that you hear the word of God and believe it. Jesus put it this way, he that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not because God is not with you. Every time I take up my Bible, I affirm that I believe God has spoken and I want to worship and obey that God. Every time I get up out of bed, even on a snowy and cold Sunday morning so that I can hear the word of God, I am affirming, I am a believer. I follow Jesus. I believe God has spoken in his word. Today, if you will hear and believe God's word, you will find through that word a God that can not only save you, he will satisfy you, he will sustain you through life, and even more importantly, he will sustain you through death and bring you into his presence one day. Read the Bible, study the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Master the Bible. Make it a lifetime goal. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, may we have hearts that are repentant, humble, believing. May we come to your word with a heart for worship, for obedience. May we find in your word the most profound spiritual experience possible on planet Earth. Make us more and more a people of your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.